The title of this morning's message, as you will see on your um, bulletins, is a trustworthy passage no one wants to preach. The trustworthy passage no one wants to preach. Part of that is true, is that this is the one of the more controversial and difficult passages of Scripture, but this passage is best communicated when not preached, but taught and discussed, a dialogue, a conversation. There's a certain tone that must be taken, and you have to understand the heart of Paul and the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Well, let's read the passage. I want, I want to read it in its entirety before breaking it down so that you will see exactly why, especially in our day today, nobody wants to preach this passage. If you have God's Word, meet me in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15. I have the passages for you overhead as well. Let's first read verses 8 to 10. Paul writes this. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, verses 11 and 12. Let a a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And the basis for that? For Adam was formed first, then Eve, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness and with self-control. So there's a lot to explain, but let me start with this refrain. Everyone needs to be nourished and taught by spiritual women in their lives, spiritual mothers. Everyone in the context of the church needs spiritual mothers. But there comes a time in every man's life where we need our spiritual fathers. You see, you have to understand and remember that Timothy understood everything that Paul wrote. Timothy's father, it is implied that Timothy's father was an unbeliever, Paul was his spiritual father. So upon receiving this letter, Timothy knew that Paul was not talking about the subjugation of women. He's not telling Timothy to establish domineering male leadership. He's not saying that women can't talk ever or can't do any ministry or hold any leadership position. Timothy understood the heart of Paul. And what's even more significant is that Timothy's foundation was built by women. It's, it's written in the pastoral epistles that Timothy was first taught the sacred writings by his grandmother and his mother. So Timothy would not be who he is without the spiritual woman who taught him. But Timothy needed the spiritual example of Paul. He needed to see an example of good, humble male leadership. That's the type of authority and teaching that Paul modeled for him and taught him. In the same way, I would not be who I am 
without my spiritual aunties. Still to this day, my aunties can teach me. They're not exercising authority over me in the office of a pastor, but they still have something to offer me. The first two women to share the gospel, the first two people to share the gospel with me were Sunday school teachers, women. And throughout my teenage years, women continued to teach me, but there came a time in my life where I became a man. As a young man, full of anger, full of pride, full of lust. You could put the strongest tiger auntie in front of me. I might be respectful in person, but in my mind, I'm thinking, you're not my mama. Don't tell me what to do. I needed my youth pastor, a man, trained in the Word of God at the Master Seminary, to sit down with me and teach me discipleship, teach me lordship. And then I felt called to ministry. I needed supervisors who were male pastors. Not because I wouldn't listen to the woman. And some of you would say, well, Hanley, that's a humility issue. Lady, let me remind you that humility, because that's how I would talk to you back then, right? Let me remind you that humility is a lifelong process of learning. How do you think you learn humility? By humble men modeling and teaching it. I would not be who I am without my spiritual aunties. But God knew I needed a man named Tony Firth, the late Tony Firth in my life, as a spiritual father. And I needed, above all, I don't know if he's here today, I needed Pastor Jackson in my life. My aunties taught me about the love of God and about the heart of God. Pastor Jackson showed me the heart of God and the love of God like a father. And so today I want you to see the trustworthy goodness of God's design for men and women in the church. You will see first, men, let's be honest, right? Paul's going to address, you've seen it, with men it's anger and, and quarreling. Men, we have pride. Our pride rises up when we're little. It rises up and it's not that women don't struggle with pride. But men, if you've lived long enough, and don't ask your wives because you don't want to open the door, that over time, even as a Christian, you know how our pride takes on a different form? You know, once I was proud, a proud teenager, then I became saved and became a pastor, and there's moments where you have theological, doctrinal pride, and then you've got to be humbled in that regard. Right? But as you get older and you become an old man, if you aren't constantly applying the cross and the gospel, a man's pride takes on a different form. So Paul addresses anger and quarreling among men. Now, sisters, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a woman's insecurity takes on a different form as they age. It's not that men don't struggle with insecurity, but women from their teenage years and then into womanhood, into motherhood, and then this is why Instagram is a curse, right? And then into their senior years, unless the gospel is constantly applied, a woman's insecurity takes on a different form. And so Paul tells woman, he addresses the issue of modesty, not anger and quarreling. Let's look at God's word so you'll see what I'm talking about. The first thing that we see today that Paul addresses is 
the attitude and conduct for men and women in the church. The attitude and conduct for men and women in the church. Notice once again, verse 8. I desire then in every place that men should pray. And scholars tell us that this term, every place, appears four times in Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And here in 1 Timothy. You don't have to write down all those references. And every single time Paul uses in every place, it refers to the official assembly of the church. So his instructions apply specifically to the gathering of the local church. Every time the church gathers, he desires that men should pray. And when he says lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, he's not simply talking about a prayer posture. Though in the Old Testament... There are examples of the Old Testament saints lifting up their hands during prayer. But Paul, he qualifies this by saying, I want men to pray. I want them to offer holy lives. He's talking about their conduct because he qualifies it with, without anger or quarreling. And once again, this is attacking the pride of men. We know the false teachers were teaching weird ideas, and this might have caused division where the men are now arguing over different stories and false doctrine, or they're arguing over tertiary issues, right? The men are arguing, and in the spirit, in the spirit of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, where famously we understand Jesus calling us to reconcile with one another before lifting up your worship, before bringing your sacrifices to God. In the same way, he's telling the men, rather than being angry, and quarreling, deal with your pride, reconcile, then lift up worship to the Lord, conduct that's pure. And then in verse 9, obviously, Paul's not saying women can't braid their hair or wear jewelry. I mean, some of you, you, as I read the scripture, I hope you didn't undo your hair. You know there's men who braid their hair too, right? At least in in, in the church context that I listen to all the time, the men have braided hair. So, so this is not talking about braiding of hair or jewelry, right? Um, it's talking about modesty. Paul's intent is made clear with the words, adorn themselves with respectable apparel. And what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. He's talking about modesty and respect because back then, the way that the women would draw attention to themselves is that they would put all these jewels in their hair. I mean, nowadays, you know, someone would jack that, right? You go to Costco and say, hey, give me that. You, know, you don't even go in the parking lot anymore. You, like, tuck your purse into your, your, your body bag. But they would, liter- they, were literally, they would literally adorn themselves, and they were drawing attention to themselves, unnecessary attention. And so applied to us today, this would be men, our issue of pride, stop being proud, stop arguing, stop, stop quarreling, reconcile, be respectable, be an example of godliness, and women, be godly by, by not causing the people to stumble in how you dress and not being too extravagant where it draws so much attention to yourself, right? But it says instead adorn yourself with godly character. Both men and women need to be modest 
and respectable. But the man's modesty in this context was not to have a quarrelsome attitude. And I guess that applies to me because this last Monday I was talking a little bit too much trash playing basketball. And I got to be more modest. Right? But, the, but the issue with the men was not modesty and appearance. It was pride and anger and quarreling. So thus we see that Paul addresses the proper attitude and conduct for men and women in the church. I wanted to move quickly through this point because I need to move on and spend a lot of time on point number two where Paul talks about teaching and learning for men and women in the church. Teaching and learning for men and women in the church. Now let's look at that text once again. One of the most controversial passages in the scripture. Many different interpretations, but I think only one right one, right? And that is to take Paul for what he says. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. She is to remain quiet. Now first, this is only in the context of the church. This is not talking about in the home. There are complementary roles in marriage, but this is not what it's talking about, right? If I come as a pastor into your home, mothers, you have authority. If you tell me, take off your shoes, I take off my shoes. I'm your pastor, but I can't exercise authority over you. That's your home. And guess what? When it comes to your children, mothers, I can give you guidance. I can even guide your children, but you have authority over your children. I can't make your children do certain things. You have authority over me. I can't come to your workplace as one of the pastors and start telling you what to do to make a better design or to do medicine differently. Now, if it's a spiritual matter where you are in sin, then that becomes an, an issue of counsel and guidance. I'll explain that later. Where if you're really living in a way that's unbecoming of the gospel, then actually we need to bring it to the elders and then to the church. Right? So it's, it's not saying that, that women have to submit all the time to every man. I'll explain all that. Paul's instructions apply to the formal gathering of the church and only to the formal gathering of the church. He's not talking about seminary classrooms. He's not talking about the school classroom. He's not saying that we cannot learn men from reading books from Elizabeth Elliot or Joni Erickson Tata as if they can't teach us anything. One of my favorite preachers to listen to just to learn is Jackie Hill Perry. And she's usually preaching at women's conferences, so she's preaching to women. But I learn a lot because of her cadence, her vocabulary, her eloquence, and her delivery. And so, men, we can learn from women, but this is talking about the context of the local church within the polity of the local church. Furthermore, Paul's not saying that women cannot exercise leadership in the church at all. A woman can be community group directors. They can be worship leaders. They can be teachers in various contexts. Women can even be the director of operations. And you'll see why. Right? A nice way to, that's a nice way to say office manager or head secretary. So we need to define what Paul means by teaching and authority. So let's start with verse 11. What does quietly mean? Look up in your Bibles at verse 2, which was last week's passage. Notice the same word translated in the Greek, quiet life. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, where it talks about that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's the same Greek word, quietly. It's not talking about silence. 
It's not talking about utterly not being able to say anything. It's talking about respectable, quiet, peaceable. In this sense, quiet does not mean the woman only could whisper, but men too need to lead a peaceful and quiet life. Submissiveness does not mean submitting to all men all the time. It does not even mean submitting to your pastor, as I mentioned, in every single context. Paul's saying, Paul's not saying that women need to submit to all men. Women do not have to be submissive all the time. It depends on the context and topic. What this is talking about is women are submissive and quiet when the teaching and exercising of authority is happening in the, by elders in the context of the local church, which I'll explain. But both men and women together are to be submissive when the public teaching is happening to the content that's being taught and to the male pastors who are teaching the word. Now let me show you where Paul actually instructs women to teach. Titus 2 verse 3, Paul commands women to teach other women. Acts 18 and Romans 16 3, female co-workers shared the word of God. Priscilla, and it's, I, I believe that Priscilla is the same person as Prisca. Okay, so Romans 16.3 as well. Then in 1 Corinthians 11.5, Paul speaks of women prophesying in the church. They, they're not to be silent all the time. They're prophesying in the church. Then Colossians 3.16, Paul talks about the one another commands that everyone is to teach and instruct one another. This includes women. Furthermore, in 1 Timothy, uh, what's happening is that Teaching and authority need to be connected, right? Teaching and authority are not two separate things. And when you look at the very next passage, it's the passage on the qualifications for pastors. I didn't put the entire passage up there. We're going to preach it next week. But in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, it talks about the, the qualification of being able to teach. Uh, overseer, it says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, the word overseer is interchangeable with elder and pastor. It's talking about the specific ordained office of the pastorate. It says an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So this applies to all Christians. If you're a female, non-pastor, right, but you still have to be faithful in marriage. So above reproach. Every Christian should strive to be above reproach. Every Christian should strive to be faithful in marriage. Every Christian should strive to be sober-minded. Every Christian should, be, should strive to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Every Christian should strive not to be a drunkard. Every Christian should be not violent but gentle. Every Christian should try not to be too quarrelsome like Draymond Green. Every, every yeah, yeah I, I like him because I like to talk trash, but um, not a lover of money. Every Christian should manage his household well. Every Christian, well, this is a different one. An elder should, must not be a recent convert. I'll explain that next week. And every Christian should be, seek out to be well thought out by outsiders, meaning unbelievers look at you and they feel you, you're respectable. But there's one major qualification that does not apply to every other Christian. That's the gifting and ability to preach. The ability to teach is talking about not just, there's teachers who are able to teach, right? In the public school, private school, there are Sunday school teachers who are able to teach. But the ability to teach, and, the, and the, the gift varies to varying degrees, is to have the precision to interpret the Word of God, to have the passion to give your life to interpreting, studying, and communicating the Word of God, 
but the most important is power, the anointing of the Spirit. Is when you preach the Word of God or teach the Word of God, do other people say, I felt like God spoke through you. I didn't hear you. I heard God speak through you. When you speak, I felt convicted that I need to change, that God was speaking to me. That is the anointing of the Spirit upon pastors. And then there's, there's pastors with different levels of gifting and ability to teach. That's the key difference that separates the pastor. Now, what is a pastor's authority? <clears throat> a pastor's authority is not the authority of command. The authority of command is given in Romans 13 to civic, civil government, right? When there's evil, the, the police officers, law enforcement, we are pro-law enforcement, right, at our church. Law enforcement, they, they, they tell you, hey, you're breaking the law. Right? That's, that's command, or you, you're going to get a fine, you're going to go to jail. Parents actually have command authority because there are commands in the Bible that says, children, obey your parents. Parents, you have command authority. Pastors do not have command authority, but the church does. Pastors cannot excommunicate people. You have to bring it to, to the elders and then to the two or three and then to the church. Pastors have the authority of counsel and guidance because a pastor's authority only comes from the Word of God. So that's why the pastor needs to be able to teach because that's his only authority. The pastor's authority is to teach God's people God's Word and to guide them and to counsel them. And in the case where you have a rebellious believer who is, is acting in a way that's unbecoming of the gospel, the pastor counsels, guides, exhorts, rebukes, counsels. And if they still don't listen, you bring it to you know, two or three, and then you bring it to the church. And this is what I mean by I don't have a authority over every matter of your life. This is what he's talking about. Teaching and authority. It, it cannot be separated because a pastor's authority is through his teaching. He needs to be able to teach God's word. So now let's go back to the passage. What Paul is talking about is when the pastor is preaching the word of God or teaching the word of God in a public worship service, the women are in the position of learning and receiving but the men, too, need to submit. And so the issue is not whether or not women can teach. The big controversy, even in the Southern Baptist Convention right now, the big controversy is whether women can hold the office of pastor. And my personal position, as well as the position of our church, is that uh, we take the traditional Southern Baptist position that the office of pastor is reserved for men. Women can be directors. They can be ministers, even non-ordained. But the ordained office of overseer, bishop, elder, pastor is reserved for men. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about women can't teach. So, so in, in, in our church, we, we uh, exercise something called delegated authority. So if you notice, we don't have any ordained woman pastors. In fact, we even take it a, a step level. We don't have and haven't had any woman carry the title of licensed minister. But we have women directors. Women can, as I mentioned, could be, even be executive director. They can lead the entire small group ministry, administratively coordinated. 
Women can get up and, and, and share something under the authority of the pastor. But, but the, the, the office of the pastor is reserved for men. Uh, uh, you rarely or never will see, at least in the English congregation, a woman preach the word of God with authority on a Sunday in the pulpit. It's not because we don't value it. It's because our very woman will say, hey, pastor, what are you doing? Do your job. That's your calling. You have, to, you have to be the one to preach the word of God, the pastors. Now, what happens in, in all three of our congregations is, is we allow for differences in terms of whether women can teach mixed gender Sunday school classes. So in the English congregation, we're, we're, we, we have it historically where we only have men teaching mixed gender Sunday school classes. But if I wanted to teach on identity and women and marriage, I might invite a sister and stand next to her. I'll introduce her. I'll, I'll, I'll say why we need to listen to her. Uh, if we could ever get someone like that, you know, to come like, oh, at least Fitzpatrick is coming today. Wouldn't you want to listen to her or Jackie Hill Perry? But then she's under my authority. I've just asked her to share. And then I'll close in prayer, right? In, in our Chinese congregations, they allow for women who are trained to teach mixed gender Sunday school classes but it's very clear that those women are not exercising pastoral authority. They're simply sharing the word of God under the authority of their lead pastor. So there's a varying level of agree to disagree because this is completely a secondary issue. But we are aligned with, we believe, the conservative biblical teaching that the office of pastor is reserved for men. That's what he's talking about. Let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness, submitting to the pastors. Men have to too. And I do not permit a woman to teach and to exercise authority in the office of a pastor over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, not all the time. Now, what's happening in the context, in the media context of the passage, is that these false teachers were influencing the woman. These women, uh, some of the godly women were, were most likely usurping the authority of some of the men who were following these false teachers, remember in chapter 3, Paul gives the solution. The solution to not having godly men is not elevating godly women. The solution, the solution is, Timothy, you need to establish godly men. Sister Katie shared with me this week that Elizabeth Elliot, you know, after Jim Elliot, her husband died, she was the most trained person among the mission, on, in the mission field, but she refused to preach. She would prepare the lessons and have a Christian man get up and share it, and then she basically allowed the man to work into the office. That's Elizabeth Elliot, a woman that I was always learned from. Remember what I mentioned to you? When I need counseling, there's still a sister in our church, an auntie, who I will listen to everything that she says. She's not exercising authority over me, She's helping me support. Say, Hanley, you have to be the pastor. My aunties can still speak into my ear. I'll listen. I will listen to them. My mother could always pull me aside and, and, and teach me something. But she's not exercising authority over me. We have to be careful sometimes not to be overly dogmatic, saying, saying the woman can't read Scripture. There are some churches where the women aren't allowed to read Scripture. They aren't allowed to make announcements. They aren't allowed to lead worship. I think in my earlier days, I, I equated that as, as a woman leading worship is like teaching people how to think about God. Then I realized, no, no, no. When you, when you study this clearly, he's talking about the office of pastor. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor to teach as a man. Right? There are deacons who teach, and deacons don't have to be able to teach. 
You, there, there are Sunday school teachers who are neither deacons nor pastors, but they are, they are able to teach, but God hasn't called them into, and let me show you another passage, okay? 1 Timothy 5.17, it says, Let the elders rule, that's the authority, well, be considered worthy of double honor. That's talking about paying their wages, allowing them to be in full-time ministry. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That's connecting the ruling, how do you oversee, mainly through preaching and teaching. So if I were to tell you, you know, I'm constantly going to fill this pulpit with females because there's not enough men, then we got a problem, then I'm not fulfilling and discharging my duty and my call. I got to answer to God. This is my gift. This is my calling. I do, my wife will tell you, I can't do anything well. The only thing I can do okay is preach. That's the only thing I can do okay. So when it comes to planning a church picnic, I panic. When it comes to ordering food for a staff meeting, I panic. I'm like, how do I use this app? How do I call? What? what, what, what? But my aunties, it's like a piece of cake. They organize the entire women's tea, women's dim sum. Women. Women lead our church. You guys just don't know it. But the pastors are exercising authority and preaching the word of God. That is our task. That is our duty. That is what we must do. Men who are called to ministry, when we don't preach and teach, we have to answer to God. So this is not a matter, this is not a matter of silencing women. Now let me show you this awesome example because this is the example. Even this morning I had two of my aunties who I will always listen to talking with me, conversing with me, right? And, I, and I'm learning things. I'm learning and considering. In Acts 18.26, in Acts 18 it talks about Apollos. Apollos is such a charismatic and strong preacher that some believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. That's not my view. Okay, I believe that Hebrews was written by Luke. Okay? And so we could debate about that another time. Right? But Apollos, Apollos, he was preaching, and it said that he knew the scriptures, but it wasn't as accurate. So it says Apollos, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, two sisters, heard him, they took him aside, not to shame him. They invited him into their home, actually, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. So these women were teaching him. And he became a better preacher. I asked the story of my life. My wife will tell me, why'd you say it that way? That way it could have been different. You need to study more in this area. Without her, I wouldn't be as clear of a communicator. And so men need women in our lives, but we need to step up. You know, in, in fact, I would say in our cultural context, it's more the women who are eager and willing to lead. They have a joke called Pam, passive Asian male. And I say in, you know, our Chinese heritage, it's spam, super passive Asian male. <laughs> and so actually Paul's exhortation is men, step up and lead. Because the women want to come under good, humble leadership, not domineering leadership, not angry leadership, not forceful leadership, not proud leadership, not putting what women submit because Paul says so. That's not the, what he's saying. But humble, good authority. 
because the, then that's the authority he's talking about, okay? So that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the office of pastor. But thirdly, he grounds his, Paul, why you make it so difficult, brother? He grounds his basis on the role of woman in the church on the created order. And if he just did that, it'd be good. But why do you got to go to childbearing? Hardest passage and one of the harder passages of Scripture. Let's look at it. So you're saying that the, the men are the leaders in the church and the women have different leadership roles but not the office of pastor. Why? Verse 13. Because God is a God of order. The church is orderly and for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Right? So he's talking about created order. And Adam was not deceived. Oh, why you got to go there, Paul? But he does. Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Verse 15, yes, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, when I wrote out my manuscript, I, I end up with nine pages. I usually have five. I say, you know, it's Chinese New Year. It's the year of the dragon. Maybe they'll let me drag on. But uh, uh, I don't think I can. So I'm just going to make this simple, okay? Yeah, thank you for that, okay? In verse 14, <clears throat> Paul grounds his exhortation on, on Genesis 2 and 3, the created order. God is orderly. He formed Adam first. That doesn't make Adam or men better than women. It just means that God's order for leadership in the church reflects his order of creation. Also, when it says Adam was not deceived, this is not saying Adam's not wrong. This is not saying Adam's not wrong. Adam's job was to crush the head of the serpent, and Adam should not have eaten the fruit. I firmly believe that even though his wife ate the fruit, if Adam didn't eat the fruit and said, Eve, we're, I told you we're not supposed to eat that, and where's this serpent? And he goes and he crushes the head of the serpent, we wouldn't have the fall. I firmly believe that. But we needed Jesus the true and better Adam, not the true and better Eve. Right? We needed Jesus to come to crush the head of the serpent because Adam failed. Now, the reason why Paul mentions Eve being deceived is even before the fall, which is confusing to me, even before the fall, you already see God's created order being reversed. Let me explain to you why. Satan's crafty. Okay, so he goes after not Adam, but Eve. Why? Because Adam was the one who had to submit to God. And Adam got the command and instruction directly from God. Do not eat from this tree. You can eat from all the trees of the garden, but not this tree. And Adam tells his wife, Eve didn't hear directly from God. Now Eve gets into a conversation with a serpent. And my question is, since when the snakes start talking, slittering? Snape is my favorite, by the way. He makes me cry when you find out his real identity in, in Harry Potter. But when the snakes start talking, so Eve could have said, okay, 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 hold up. Adam created order. Adam, this snake's telling me I can eat it, but you said God said we can't. Who's right? Right? And Adam could be like, what? You know, let me, let me kill this snake. But instead, she listens to the serpent, eats the fruit, then gives it to her husband. Foolish man, he eats it too. And then he blames his wife. And then the wife blames the serpent. Right? That's Genesis. Go read it. Genesis 3. So that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about that Adam's not at fault. He's saying that, that when Eve 
listened to the serpent, she was already reversing the created order. And so that's why he's grounding his, his, his context is the created order, that Eve was the one who was deceived. And she should have went to her husband. And then her husband should have done the right thing. So that's the first part. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully that, that clarifies you the first part where it says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was de- deceived. She became a transgressor, but so, so did her husband. The fall of man came, not just because Eve ate the fruit, because Adam ate it too. But verse 15 is tough. It says, yet she, that she is clearly Eve. Notice in your Bibles, yet she, right, Genesis 2, leading to Genesis 3, she will be saved through childbearing if they, that's the confusing part, that extends it to all women, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, the childbearing here refers refers to both the consequence of the fall and the promise of the deliverance from the fall. So remember, what was Adam's consequence? Adam, you're going to have to go to work. What? Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, we, we would have all loved our work, but, but it's like, you know, it's going to be really hard for you when you work the field. That's your consequences. For the rest of your life, you're going to be worried about provision. You're going to worry about taxes. Well, I wish you told me about the taxes, God. You know, uh, right. But for the woman and all women, there's a pain in childbearing. But I want you to think about this. It's not just childbearing, it's child rearing. And that's part of Adam's job too. Raising children is difficult. But not only that, remember when Timothy was written. Many women back then, without the medical technology that we have today, not only was giving birth very, very painful, many women died from childbirth. And some of the complications that come with childbirth even today, they would, it, would, it would stay with them for the duration of their lives. And they also didn't have contraception the way we have it. So you just have many children and lots of complications for women. And this is part of the curse of the fall. Eve could have said, God, you know, I, I, no, I don't want to do it. But the only sh- way that she would be saved spiritually is by saying, God, I'm going to trust in your promise that one of my descendants is going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's the promise of Messiah. So Eve had to bear children. And you have to understand Eve's pain. Try not to get emotional, you know. I, you have to understand Eve's pain, right? She's, she's, she's sinned. She feels guilty. She, w- whenever she thinks of other women suffering, you know, in her day, she's probably feeling this is my fault. But, you know, it's part of God's plan. It's my fault. And so she has children. And she's got to be thinking, okay, one of my descendants, one of my immediate children is going to be Messiah. Uh, what did Cain do? He murdered Abel. Mothers, what if your oldest, what if one of your, your sons murdered your other son? And you're thinking, God, but you promised one of my children is going to be the Messiah. So she has, after Abel's death, she has Seth. Seth is not Messiah. So she died trusting in God's promise but she had to keep bearing children. And everybody in the line of Eve continued to bear children until Messiah came. That's what it means. She will be saved through childbearing despite the consequences 
of the pain that comes with childbearing and childrearing, she will be saved by continuing to trust in the Messiah. Now, the challenge is when Paul goes to they. If they continue in faith, that, that means all women. If they continue in faith. Now, Eve had to have faith, and women after Eve have to continue to have faith in Christ. And so there's many interpretations. I'm going to take the simplest one today because of our time. Many interpretations. I'll take the simplest one. Is that the childbearing refers to salvation through trusting in the Messiah that would come through Eve, the promised child of Eve. And that answers the question, what if women don't have children? Or what if you're single all your life as a woman? What if you can't have children because of medical issues? You know, what happens? Well, you trust in Christ. And you empathize with the pain, other pains that women feel. But they continue in faith in Christ. Just like Eve trusted in the promised seed. And love, holiness, and self-control are fruits of our salvation in Christ. That's the easiest not the most there's a lot of different views that is the easiest interpretation that's the one I present to you today okay why self-control first Timothy 4 verse 3 Paul rebukes the false teachers who forbid marriage and the byproduct of marriage back then especially with no contraception contraceptive technology was you're gonna bear children and so this is also aiming at the false teachers who forbid marriage. But I think applicationally today, you can say, now this doesn't apply to everyone, but for some people who are thinking, you know what, it is too painful to have children physically, and it's too hard to raise children. Let's just not have any children, which is, you know, when you go to the real secular society, then the challenge there is, no, 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 no. The, the, the answer to the curse is not to run away from the curse, but to trust in God's design for the family. If you will to have children, if God wills it for you to have children, if you desire to have children, then trust God's design, but you're safe through trusting in Christ. Your salvation comes through Christ, but trust God, right? And self-control in that context would be don't follow the way of the false teacher. Don't follow the ways of the world to escape the consequences of the fall. And for men, escaping the consequences of the fall is not don't work because it's too hard. But it's to work, know that the difficulty of our labor is because of the fall, but we are ultimately saved through Christ salvifically. But we got to go through the consequences, but knowing Christ brings us much more hope and makes things much more clear for us. Okay? So that's the understanding of the passage. The big idea for today is that God's design for men and women in the church reflects the goodness of his created order which is redeemed through Christ. God's design for men and women in the church reflects the goodness of his created order which is redeemed through Christ. In our passage, we saw God's good design for humble, not proud, domineering, um, or abusive male leadership, but humble male leadership in the pastorate. And I mentioned earlier, I would not be who I am if it were not for the spiritual woman and the aunties who continue to speak into my life. 
but I want you to hear the heartbeat of Timothy who had these spiritual mothers in his life and his understanding of what Paul's saying and why Paul's being strong. Timothy would need to address older men who were unqualified for leadership. What a daunting task. He could not go to his mother and grandmother and say, could you do this for me? Some of the women were being deceived. He could not say, hey, woman, can you do, can you go and rebuke these men? Could you bring them down? Yet God would empower Timothy with gifting and with the word of God. Timothy's only weapon was the word of God and his character. That's the qualifications for elders and pastors. So I will end with this antidote. Paul was worried about false teachers deceiving and damaging the faith of the church, but he had equipped Timothy, not only with instructions for male leadership, but he had modeled for Timothy what, a, uh, what good and humble authority looks like. And here's my antidote. What if Timothy had to write a letter back to Paul? It might sound something like this. To Paul, my spiritual father from Timothy, your spiritual son. I know you are afraid, Paul, that the churches will fall to false teaching. I know, Paul, you, na- you know your days are numbered. But rest assured, my father, find your rest in Christ. You have fought the good fight. Now it's my turn to chase the false teachers away. Paul, I've seen your good and your bad. <clears throat> you modeled for me what it means to grow in humble leadership. I saw how you quarreled and you weren't patient with John Mark. You, you weren't patient enough to disciple him. So you got into a sharp disagreement with Barnabas. But later on, I've seen you grow. I've seen you find John Mark valuable in ministry, reconcile. I've seen you reconcile with Barnabas. I've seen you grow in grace and truth. You tell me, not to be timid and to correct false teaching. And I've seen how you stood against false teachers. I've seen you suffer persecution and opposition. I've seen you remain steadfast. They put you in prison, Paul, but they couldn't silence your pen. I've seen you chase away many false teachers. I know your love for God's flock, and I know your concern about their future. But rest assured, while my grandmother and mother taught me the sacred writings I'll be okay we'll be okay because even though I had my spiritual mothers in my life I'm okay because Paul you were a spiritual father to me because you were my spiritual father now it's my turn to to rise up and to raise up godly men it's my turn together with the spiritual women in our church And with the godly men that we raise up, it's our turn now, Paul, to chase the false teachers away. You prepare to go home and see our Savior. I could not for a moment while writing this text not picture in my mind Pastor Jackson. I'll tell you a true story. It's a little embarrassing. This last Monday, I was really stressed out. We were playing basketball. You ever play basketball with Pastor Jackson? He, he'll slap you around a little bit. <laughs> so I got hit by someone else. Pastor Jackson hit me a few times. I didn't call foul. Are you here, Pastor Jackson? And, uh, and I looked at Pastor Jackson. And I said, I, I looked at one guy. I looked at Pastor Jackson. I said, I said, hey, 
stop slapping me. All you do is slap. You too, Jackson. <laughs> you know, because he's like my spiritual father. And then so I texted him Monday. I said, Pastor Jackson, I was disrespectful. I'm sorry. And he says, it's totally okay. It's basketball. You know, I know you're stressed. Blah, blah, blah. He was like a father to me. You know, and, and um, you know, I, I didn't curse. I didn't, like, you know, fight or anything. But uh, I think it was disrespectful what I did. Yeah, I, I was a little emotional. I, was, I, I needed to deal with my stress out elsewhere. But till this day, he's a spiritual father to me. You know, so I have all my aunties who taught me the word of God, but without Pastor Jackson and Pastor Albert and Jerry and Alan and Tony Firth and Ivan and different men who taught me the word of God in different times, I could not be a pastor. And so that's God's good design. It's real, right? God's good design is complementarianism, where men and women are equal in essence and value, and women have their rightful leadership roles, and they have their positions of teaching as well. But the men must be the, the spiritual fathers of the church. Not patriarchy, but humble, good leadership, where they're listening to the woman and then serving the men and the woman. And the women come under, not submission and subjugation, but the women come under the good and humble leadership of the men. That's the view of our church. That's the historical view of the Southern Baptists. I know it's being debated right now. And that is the reason why we don't have the office of pastor for women. Our pastors are more than happy to talk to anybody who have questions about that because I know that's the big controversy right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. But the most important thing is redemption comes through Christ. So if you don't have Christ, we invite you once again that every pastor must submit to Christ must submit to Christ because every person must submit to Christ. I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christ came 2,000 years ago, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, he will save you and then become part of his body. And hopefully, if not our church, you find a church where there's good, healthy complementarianism, a humble complementarianism of roles in the church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity, even when it seems confusing at first read. Father, I pray, Lord, for our church that we would humbly apply what you teach us in Scripture, that we would value both men and women rightly, that we would honor women and honor men in the ways that you want us to. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to set an example and protect us from the enemy because we know the spiritual abuses happen in churches. We know that there are pastors and spiritual leaders who have abused their authority. We know that there are men who have abused their authority with women. We pray, Lord, we don't take for granted that, that, that this won't happen ever in our context, but we pray that you would protect us by keeping us accountable, keeping us healthy, keeping us humble, Lord. And I think that's the most important thing, that you would keep us in humility, submitting to your word. Father, I pray that you would do that for our church. I pray, Lord, for anybody in here who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that they would submit to you above all people, that you would draw them to the saving knowledge of, of Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.